this book consecutively, uh, and we, we've got this sort of mini-series, if you like, within the, the, the whole series of going through the book of 1 Corinthians, looking at uh, spiritual gifts as we see them in chapters 12, 13, and 14. Last week, those of you here remember, we finished going through the, the list of the spiritual gifts here uh, in verses 8 to 10. We see here in this a list of gifts, utterances of wisdom, utterances of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, a prophecy. And then last week we spent more time looking at the ability to distinguish between spirits. And we spent quite a bit of time on tongues. And, and there was a few points that came up from the tongues that were particularly mentioned uh, in the Zoom time. And I just want to sort of refresh our memories and, and go through those because they will be coming out again. And that is the fact that tongues, like all gifts, are not for every believer. Tongues are not a sign of salvation. They're not a sign of spiritual maturity. They're not something that is learnt. They are a gift. Nowhere in God's word it tells us that tongues are to confuse the devil when we pray. And, then we, and, and we realize that because not everyone has the gift of tongues. It cannot be the same as praying in the Spirit, which we're all called to do in Ephesians and, and chapter 6. And tongues are not the most important gift. And as we will go on to chapter 14, we will see that the Corinthians thought it was, and the church there was getting into troubles because of that. But Paul taught these Corinthians, and he doesn't want these Corinthians to be uh, unaware of what's happening. And he, and he said that tongues can be used, and, and should be used in public, in chapter 14. And he says tongues can be used in prayer. And he said tongues can be used in private. But he also said that tongues in a church setting, in a corporate setting, had to be translated. And tongues in a church setting had to be controlled. Only two or three at the most speaking in tongues, and then they had to be translated. And so these Corinthians, with this gift of tongues, there was particular rules that were given. Rules that were given from God, through the Apostle Paul, about them. And then we also just touched on interpretation of tongues, which is so important for the use of tongues as it was set out uh, to the Corinthians. Now last week as I was wrapping up, I said that I was going to move on to the other gifts in this passage and around the scriptures. And then I was really convicted by this. I was convicted that we should go through this passage as it was set out by Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul wasn't led by the Holy Spirit to give us all those gifts all at once. The Holy Spirit didn't give us all the gifts from all over God's Word in one place. And we as a church, we're going through this book of 1 Corinthians. We're going through it in an expository manner, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, looking at it. And there was me, and I was going to break my own rules, as it were, and, and, and go on to this and look at all of the gifts of the Spirit at once. Now, when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't, strive, didn't dive straight into that second list. And there must have been a reason. That there must have been a reason. There's no mistake in God's word. And, and so if there was a reason back then for the Corinthians, I, I, I'm guessing, I'm believing that there is a reason for us 
to follow God's word through as it's speaking to us and take time out to hear what he was saying to the Corinthians before they moved on and if that's what they needed to do I think if we want to understand God's word in the context of God's word which is we, what we must do then we, we're going to have to do this and, and so my plan has changed slightly and we're going to just carry on going through this chapter we will get to those other gifts don't worry that are separate we will get there that's all part of the scriptures so, so it's not going to be missed out but there is something here that we need to realise and Paul more importantly the Holy Spirit thought we need to realise it before we saw this next list that's how the letter was written that's how God gave it to his people then that's how God has blessed us with it now and so Paul finishes off this uh, section that we've just been looking at these verses 8, 9 uh, and 10 which has got the gift of the, the, this list of these nine specific spiritual gifts and, and now he goes on to talk about all of them verse 11 verse 11 all these so this is all the gifts all nine of them that are listed there all of them he says all these are empowered by one same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Yeah. And so there's an importance here. There's an importance that Paul is bringing in and he's reminding the people there and telling the people there about these gifts and about the, the way they are. Specific spiritual gifts and in verse 11 it talks about all of them all these gifts are empowered by the Holy Spirit all these gifts are apportioned by the Holy Spirit now this doesn't read the Holy Spirit gave all the gifts to all the believers to have and to empower them to use them. Yeah? It's really important. These gifts are given by the Holy Spirit to the believers as the Holy Spirit apportioned, and these gifts are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I want to emphasize this because it's emphasized here. He's just told us about these gifts. Previously he's told us that these gifts are for the benefit of the whole church. And now he's coming back and now he's bringing this to us. And the giving of gifts, the apportioning of gifts, is the work of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. And friends, the Holy Spirit is not our slave he's not our servant he's not our fairy godmother and I say fairy godmother because that's sometimes how we treat the Holy Spirit we think he's there on demand to do what we tell him when we tell him and how we tell him and that is not that is not what it's all about in fact it just seems stupidity for me to even say that because the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God himself. 
We cannot go to God himself and tell him what to do. Or tell him how to do it. We are God's redeemed people. And we thank God for that work of redemption and salvation in our lives. And he's given us the Holy Spirit. At our salvation, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and changes us from dead spiritual beings into those that are alive in Christ. And as we become alive in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit and the salvation of Christ's blood on the cross, the Holy Spirit is given to us. And as the Holy Spirit is given to us, as the Holy Spirit indwells us, the Holy Spirit at our salvation apportions to us spiritual gifts. And when those spiritual gifts manifest themselves in a biblical righteous context, it is when the Holy Spirit empowers them. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers these gifts. So you could ask yourself, why don't I see the gifts all the time? Because the Holy Spirit hasn't empowered them. But when the Holy Spirit empowers them, we see them and we feel them and we, we, we experience them. And, and when a spiritual gift is manifest in the life of belie a believer, it's because it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. We do not empower. The Holy Spirit does. And so this means if someone tells you to speak in tongues or someone tells you to perform any other spiritual gift, it is not in line with the scriptures. It is not in line with the scriptures. And this is so important. Because in this day and age, people are telling you to do this or telling you to do that. And they're, they're, they're trying to do Possibly in the best interest, I don't know, I can't judge their heart and it's not right for me to. But what they're doing is not in line with God's word or the working of the Holy Spirit or who the Holy Spirit is. Now the Apostle Paul desired for people to have spiritual gifts. And I desire that all of us here as a church, as a body, have spiritual gifts, manifest spiritual gifts for the good of the church. And Paul encouraged people to desire them themselves. But nowhere, nowhere does Paul or anywhere else in the scripture command or tell the Holy Spirit to give gifts. You see, the giving and the empowering of spiritual gifts is the sole work and the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. And it may be that out of a desire to serve the Lord and out of a desire to experience the Lord, we become desperate and we try and manifest them for ourselves or we get caught up in a, in a situation where that's what's happening. And that is not what they are. It's not hysteria. It's not something we whip up ourselves. It is something that the Holy Spirit does. And if we're wanting to see these gifts manifest in our lives and in the lives of the church, we shouldn't be demanding it or trying to make it happen. We should be asking God to work through the Holy Spirit and show us and work through us to his glory and for the good of the church. You see, we don't even know what the good of the church is. We may think it's this and it's that. And, and by trying to do God's work for him, we make a mess within the church. And in this passage, it's very, very clear that the Holy Spirit chooses and gives the gifts. As we've been going through verse 8 and verse 10, talking about those individual gifts, we've been concentrating on the gift, the gift itself. But just before, it talks about the same Spirit to one. 
or to another, to one or to another. And it's the Holy Spirit that's deciding, who is deciding, who gets which gift and gifts. And not everybody will have the same gift. Not everybody will have the same gift. And, and I want to underline that. And I'm underlining it because this passage moves on and Paul emphasizes this point to the Corinthians. He wants the Corinthians to understand this. Because there's a problem in the Corinthian church and part of the problem is this. They all think they should be speaking in tongues. And it comes out in 14 and it's not what it's about. It's not what it should be. And Paul is wanting these Corinthians to understand that as a body that's made up of different parts, they have different gifts for the benefit of the whole church. If everyone has the same gift, the church suffers. Some of you like football. And you girls that don't, forgive me. And you gentlemen, well, if you don't, you should know better. You should like football. Or so I'm told. Or soccer. Sorry, Scott. Soccer. But when you, when you have any team game, and, and some of the kids here were playing basketball together across in the salon there. Let's use basketball as an illustration. You get different players with different skill sets. And the manager puts them on at different times for different things. You get some that are really good at shooting at a distance. And some are really good at dribbling. And some are really good at passing. And some are really good at this part, or motivating, or encouraging. And some of them are just like managers of teams, and they bring the team around them, and they're all they're absolutely useless themselves, but their motivation, their courage, makes the whole team work. And the manager puts them on, and they're all different parts, and it works, yeah? If everyone could just stand on the baseline and, and score baskets, it would be useless. There'd be no passing going on, no dribbling. And the team needs to be made up of lots of different parts. And that's exactly the same with these gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who knows His church, Christ's church, knows what the body needs. And so the headline of this next section, as we're going through it, is just as the body has different parts, a church is made up of different people with different gifts. This is so important for us to grasp. Just as the body has different parts, a church is made up of different people with different gifts. And I am going to emphasize this, and I am going to go through uh, an, an illustration, because re researching for this series, I, I heard a sermon that was being spoken, and, and, and the, the, the preacher there was declaring that tongues is for all believers. And if you do not speak in tongues, it was because of ignorance. Yeah? So you're saying that tongues is for all believers, and if you don't speak in tongues, it's a matter of ignorance. And this preacher was convinced from the Bible. He's opening God's word. And his main point was taken from Jesus' prophecy in Mark 16. And we mentioned this last week. If you look at the verse in Mark 16... In verse 17, that's Mark 16, verse 17, it should be up on the screen. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues. Now you could easily come to the conclusion from just that verse that all believers will speak in tongues. And this is what this, this gentleman was really emphasizing. 
And I was thinking, well, is that what this verse really means? Does this verse really mean that all believers, all who believe, will speak in new tongues? Now, if you take that interpretation and you're consistent with it, you also have to say that all believers will cast out demons and all believers will pick up serpents and all, demons will, all, all believers will drink poison and live and all believers will heal the sick. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up. But if that is true, we'd have to conclude that there are very few believers in the world. Now we've already mentioned 1 Corinthians 12 and 8 to 10 to one and to another, which is not everybody. There's not a distinction with tongues that says to everybody. It's to one or to another. And, and so with this, we, we, have to, we have to be very, very careful. And, and some of you may have seen a very, very helpful post from the Near East Christian Fellowship this week. Uh, and it was one of, those, one of those statements they said. It's, they, 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 I'm going to quote. It says, in doctrinal matters, we must not judge truth based on a single scripture. On doctrinal matters, we must not judge truths based on a single scripture. And this is so important. Because it seems that that, that person who's preaching that particular sermon at that particular moment in time was basing their whole statement on a particular single passage of scripture. And when we take a step out and say, is this what the Bible is saying? Is this what the whole of God's word is saying? And then, like I said, we've already mentioned in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 8 and 10, this one to one and, and to another. That's not everybody. We also have to question mark this. We've already said, Jesus is not recorded to having spoken in tongues. I'm not saying he did not. What I am saying is he is not recorded in the Bible. Now we're told of a great many things that Jesus did do. We, we hear him pray, we hear him reading the Bible, we sing, sing, sing psalms, he teaches, he preaches, he himself is filled with the Holy Spirit, he is baptized, he takes the Lord's Supper, and the list goes on and on and on and on. But no tongues. And surely if tongues are so important for every believer, they would have been there with Jesus, but they weren't. And not everyone in Acts is recorded as speaking in tongues. The Acts of the Apostles. In, in fact, there's only three instances of tongues in the book of Acts. And, and what I find fascinating is these instances match the prophecy of Jesus in Mark. What, what, what Jesus was saying in, in Mark, this, this idea of what's going to happen at that moment when, when people uh, come in and receive the Holy Spirit and are saved, then that's what was going on. You see, other than these three incidences of tongues at Pentecost, uh, at Cornelius's, and then at a later occasion in a part of Turkey, there is no other mention of them. In Romans 12, when Paul is talking about the gifts, he says in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Differ means they're not all the same. We haven't all got the same gifts. 
And when we get to chapter 14 of, of, 1 of 1 Corinthians, there's a lot more guidance on tongues and prophecies, and we will get there eventually, but there is nothing that says that there is a spiritual gift, be that tongues or something else, that every believer has. That the Bible just does not teach that. God's word does not have that. And as we get to the end of this first list of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians, we, we are clearly taught that not everyone speaks in tongues or demonstrates all the gifts. Because we are believers and we are part of an amazing body that's called the church. The passage goes on in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members... All the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For with one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink one spirit. I think this Sunday is a first for us. It's the first time we've had someone from Hungary. Is that right? I think we've got another tick on our map of cultures and languages that have come to us. And, and, and our brother said, he, he, he is one with us. And he's one with us in, in that universal sense of being one body. And, and, and Paul is speaking to these Corinthians, a local church, and he's telling this local church, you are a body. And, and he, he uses this illustration to help the Corinthians understand what he's saying. For just as the body is one and has many members, this is a body, my body, it's where I am, it has many members, many parts. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. I think a lot of you like to study engineering or mathematics or finance. I don't see many biologians or biologists, biologists here. But it's a, it's a biological illustration going on here. And, and it says the human body has many members. The human body has many parts. As, as you look at me, you, you cannot see most of the parts of my body. You can't see my heart, my lungs, my stomach, my nervous system. I hope you realize I've got a brain that's being engaged. And it's coming out of my mouth and sounds happening. And I have a mouth, I have external hands, feet, arms, legs, eyes, ears. And they're all different. And they all have different functions. And they're all interrelated with each other in different ways, and they're interconnected. Now, 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 what would happen if we just got rid of a part? I don't need that bit. It's, it's not so important. I'm quite conscious I'm using my hands, yeah? Can you imagine? Let's move without an arm. How do I move the mouse? It's needed, isn't it? And, and if, if my mouth wasn't working... It's that my mouth is needed. And, and my mouth is needed because the thoughts in my brain need to come out of my mouth. And as I see danger with my eyes, it translates to my brain, and it all works together. And you can't take a bit of it out and isolate it. It is needed. None of the body is self-sufficient. Each part needs each other. And, and you, you, you suffer greatly. I, I was very virtuous. I cleaned the balcony yesterday before you ladies came. And I've got a blister on my thumb. And even now I can feel it, it hurts. It's not a big deal. 
But I'm aware of it. And when something goes wrong with your body, you are aware of it. That every part of our body is needed for it to function normally. None of it is is self-sufficient. And Paul is simply saying, so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. The human body is the illustration of the church, the illustration of the local church. The church is a body made up of individual parts. And then the point is obvious. The church is made up of all these different parts and all these different parts are essential to the church. As this passage goes on, it opens up and we will see that later. And and there there are many points of application to this. And and we'll get to them as we continue through this passage. But at this moment, what I'd like to say is nobody is a nobody in the body. Nobody is a a nobody in the body. No matter how old or young you are, no matter how mature or immature, whether you are multi-gifted or just gifted, whether you are loud or quiet, extrovert or introvert, strong or weak, academic or non-academic, intellectual or practical or both, whether you are tongue-speaking or non-tongue-speaking, you are an essential part of the church. And your local church needs you and your spiritual gifts. Because you are a body. I was trying to to be clever and come up with some illustrations. I was going to say it's it's like a puzzle with some pieces missing. You know, the jigsaw puzzle you put together and you, ah, no, there's a piece missing. It spoils it. Then I thought, no, it doesn't work very well. Perhaps it's like jollof without pepper. It doesn't work, does it? Or a rainbow in black and white. Or a sandwich without a filling. Well, it's worse. To use Paul's language, to use the, the Holy Spirit's language, to use that perfect language of God's word, it's like a body without an eye. Or it's like a body without a hand. If you are not part of that local church together, if you are not functioning together as a local church, if your gifts are not coming together as a local church, there's a body with bits missing. And bodies with bits missing don't work. And bodies with bits missing don't glorify Christ who is the head of the church. And so friend, if you are a believer, you must connect with and be part of a local church. The local church needs you as much as you need the local church. You're you're interconnected, you are bound together. Your gifts and abilities will complement and be a blessing to that church and fill a gap. And the gaps that you have, the areas that you've got nothing to add, others can bring. And you function and work together as Christ has. And isn't it wonderful we don't all have the same gifts? Because if we all had the same gifts, what need would we have for one another? It's in Christ's absolute wisdom as a church that we're like this. You are one in Christ. It's Christ that brings this church together. In Galatians 3.28, it says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave or free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So one in Christ Jesus. And in our delight of realizing that nobody is a nobody in the body, 
when we're in wonder of that, we need to remember that nobody is a nobody in the body of Christ. You see, we get a bit selfish here and we drop Christ off the church. We think of it as a body, we think of it as a church. It is Christ's church. And that's an essential part of where we see the gifts and see our gifting. They're not ours, they are the churches and the church is Christ's. And Christ is absolutely central to all this. The church is not yours, it is not mine, it's not the daddy geos, it's not the lieutenant superior who is in charge of all things in his own mind. It is Christ's church. And Christ's church works because it is a body. And as it says again in, in, in well, sorry, not again, but it says in Colossians 1 and in verse 18, it, it talks about Christ and he is the head of the body, the church being the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Christ is at the head of the church. And here we see the gifts being set out for us. And it is Christ's church. And the Holy Spirit gives them as the Holy Spirit sees we, as we need them. And it is because we are part of this body. And it is Christ's church and Christ should have the preeminence and so it goes back to this if we start using these gifts for our own personal benefit or if we start peddling in, in, the, in the matters of the Holy Spirit to, to get recognition to get fame to get money we are stamping on the head and that's how serious it is it is Christ's church we're abusing the head of the church when we peddle in things wrongly but equally so if we don't Use these gifts as God intended them, as God intended them, as the Holy Spirit gave them to us for us. We are messing with his church as well. And so the two ends of the spectrum are dangerous. You can overtly go to the other end and get it wrong. And you also can closet and lock up the Holy Spirit and not talk about these things at the other end. And that's wrong. And we need these gifts and these gifts need to be used as Christ, as God intended them for his church. He is the head of the church and is the, he is the head of the church because he purchased the church with his own blood. And the blood bought the church that the Father, God the Father, gave to him. Colossians 1.20. That's why I said we'll go to Colossians again. 1.20, just a little bit further on. It says, and through him, through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. The Lord Jesus Christ gave up his lifeblood on the cross to save his people from their sins, to reconcile them with God the Father. Our sin separates us from God. Your sin separates you from God. And each one of you here who is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior is because Christ shed his blood and as he is shedding his blood on the cross the wrath of God the Father for your sins was poured out upon him and your punishment that you deserve for the whole of eternity was taken by Jesus the church the head of the church has been bought by the Lord Jesus Christ and if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're not part of the church, now is the time to come. 
Now is an acceptable time of salvation. You've sinned and you've fallen short of the glory of God and there's nothing you can do about it yourself. But when you come to Christ in repentance, when you call upon the name of the Lord, when you ask for forgiveness, when you trust in the, the reconciling work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, you will be saved. If you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. If you repent and believe, you will be saved. And a new life can happen in Christ, and the Holy Spirit can enable you to do that. And that's our prayer. And it's Christ's reconciling work on the cross that enables us to be part of this church. And it's Christ's reconciling work on the, on the cross that enables us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the only way to be part of the church is if we're right with God. And the only way to be right with God is through Christ. And when we're right with God through Christ, verse 13 explains it's for we are one spirit, all baptized into one body. Jew or Greek, slave or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens when we call upon the name of the Lord and we're saved. We are washed in the blood of the Lamb. We are cleansed by the saving work of Christ. And we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are baptized in his presence and he indwells us. And it doesn't matter where we are from in the world. And it doesn't matter our status. We are made to drink of one spirit. We come in. And this happens when the Holy Spirit works in our lives, when we are dead in our sins and we become alive in Christ. There's nothing that we can do to merit our salvation. There's nothing that we can do to make it happen. The Holy Spirit comes and makes it happen. When we call on the name of the Lord, we are saved. And when the Spirit works in our lives, we are baptized into God's family. And we do the water baptism to symbol that and show what's happened. We've died with Christ, we've risen with him, we're washed in the blood of Christ. But that baptism of the Holy Spirit happens the moment we are regenerated, the moment we are saved, the moment we become one body. And so we can say nobody is a nobody in the body of Christ because we are one body. And friends, that should, that should just amaze us. We have become one body. We're united. And how did this come about? Because Christ died on the cross for the sins of his people. How did this come about? Because before time began, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit planned it. And you were loved with an everlasting love and brought into a family. And it's just amazing. And so if you think, who am I in the church? What gift have I got? You've got exactly the gift that God intended you to have and you are somebody because Christ died on the cross for you. And that gift is important to the church. And if you are thinking, I am somebody in the church, then you're not. You need to be humbled. You need to be brought down. We need to realize this situation. We are nobody, nobody is nobody in the body of the Christ because we are one body. We're all together. This goes on to tell us about different gifts and different statuses. But the really important thing for us to grasp at this stage is our gifting is within the context of being a body. And the body is to be a benefit for one another. And whilst we are this body, there still is total diversity 
Within this body there's diversity of members. It says that clearly in those verses, doesn't it? Members. And in this, this diversity of members, the illustration that is given here is we have Jews, we have Greeks, we have slaves, we have free. Or we could contextualize it to our situation. We could be a bit sort of broad. We could say we have Africans and we have Europeans and we can have Americans. Or we could bring it down. We could say we have Nigerians and Cameroonians and Zimbabweans and Zambians and Namibians and South Africans. Or we could bring it down even further and say we have Ibos and we have Husa and we have Igali, etc., etc. We're all diverse. And there are those of you here with PhDs and there's those of us here that barely got out of high school. And it doesn't matter because we're one in Christ. And as we will go on in this passage, we'll see that there is a diversity of gifting too. And this diversity of gifting is given to us, not for us. It's given for the church and for the glorification of Christ. And so I want to leave you, friend, this morning, not asking about what your gift is, but asking you, are you a part of this amazing body? That's the bottom line. That's the most important bit. Are you a part of this amazing body? Has your sin been dealt with on the cross? Did Christ die and suffer on the cross in your place? Is that what was going on at Calvary for you? Because any other thing you're holding on to is worthless. The only way that you can be part of this body is by seeing that you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of a great God. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all, the sustainer, the God who is allowing you now to breathe. That's who you've offended. That's who you are offended. And to be part of this body, you see your hopelessness and you repent of your sin and you believe and as God's word promises you become part of this amazing body and as this amazing body we can go on and see how these gifts bring glory to God and build us up and are used for his kingdom to come Amen of, of this amazing thought that we are part of your body. We, we, we are part of it because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. We, we're brought into it and we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has given us spiritual gifts and we ask for forgiveness when we've used them selfishly or we've hidden them away in fear or not understanding. Help us, O oh Lord God, as a church, as a body of your people, to realize that we are one body. And may we celebrate our diversity and celebrate and wonder the fact that you've given us different gifts. And may they be used to your glory. And may your name be honored now and forevermore. And Heavenly Father, before we close, all those of us here that know you, plead for those who don't. 
all those of us here that know our sins forgiven and know that we have an eternal hope in Christ Jesus we beg for those here this morning who don't those that are lost those who whom your wrath hangs above and their life breath is all that separates them from it almighty God work through the power of your spirit and save the lost today and bring them into your kingdom and may there be great rejoicing in heaven in Jesus mighty name we pray Amen.